Well, January, we're talking about loving God with all, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First week, we talked about loving God with all your soul, that, that you are a soul. And so everything about your life has spiritual implications, and, and it all ties in to each other. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. Second week, we talked about all your heart, and that your will needs leadership. Your will needs God's will. This morning, we're talking about all your mind, that the power of truth comes through trust. See, we've got this hook, and the hook is, is that we get in our own way. How do we get out of our way by loving God with all that we're along the path, somewhere along the path to all, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And with that hook, with, we know that we're in our own way, right? So how do we love God with all? And so with that question and that need, we get drawn into Scripture. This morning, we're going to drop into ancient Corinth. I want you to picture the alabaster columns and the flowing robes. This is a, a city in Greece that was reestablished in 44 B.C. by Julius Caesar. A, a city with a rich tradition and a bustling marketplace and an incredible tradition, really, of intellectual prowess. This is the city of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, of sophistry, Sophia, wisdom, of philosophy. Paul has planted a church in Corinth. He's left it there, and he's discovered that through the sophistication of human-based arguments, they have brought chaos into the church. What they need is truth, again, to recenter them. What they need is the trust to make truth powerful again. From the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 1 through 16. Hear God's Word this morning. And when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech, my message, were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that, why? So that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. Now, let me pause here and let you know that he's speaking ironically here because he's really circling back to the same wisdom, the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom revealed by God. He's kind of tweaking them a little bit. He's saying, you all are so wise in your own eyes. But can you apply the wisdom that captured your hearts from the beginning? None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but as it is written. So he's talking about the cross, see? And he's referring back to Isaiah. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given by God to us. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is God's word. Let us pray. God bless us now to receive your word, not only into our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name. Amen. How does truth get powerful? By getting trusted. We trust the revelation of God, the truth uh, of God, then it gets powerful. It gets powerful in a couple of different ways. Truth gets powerful when we trust it to get personal and practiced. Personal and practiced. That's where we're going. The power of God's truth in us must be trusted be powerful. How does it become powerful? How do we trust it? We let it get personal and we practice it. First, let's let's talk about letting truth get personal. Letting truth get personal. Letting it get in. Verses 1 through 5, you can see he's talking about, I didn't come to you in lofty words. I didn't come to you in sophistication. I didn't come to you in reason-based arguments. I didn't try to sway you, uh, sort of, my, the power of my reason versus the power of your reason. So that what? You know, I've sort of paused on that because it's important. So that what? Why? Why did he simply ha- have a simple message based on the cross? So that the power of God would be trusted. Not the faculties of human reason. See, he's calling them back to their own experience. And here's what's brilliant. His whole argument rests on whether or not they actually experienced the cross in their lives. Not through reason. Not just through observation. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, quoting Isaiah 64. But did you have the conviction of the Spirit that you have a need and that need has been met by God? See, something happened. Something happened earlier this year. A vaccine was developed. I'm, I'm, I understand that that vaccine has been tested, people are accountable, and that it's working. Something happened 2,000 years ago. There was a cross, and accountable people have put their faith and trust in it, and as a result, it's gotten in, it's gotten personal. You got to let a vaccine in. You can't just say, oh yeah, that's good, I'm glad there's a vaccine, that's terrific, I'm, I'm all for it. Right? I'm nodding my head. Yes, I'm all in favor of vaccines. See, okay, but will you stand in line and get that vaccine? Will you let it in? Will you let it get personal? Yeah, we can ascend to the cross. We can say, hey, that's a good idea. Yes, there is this self-centeredness of human nature that needs more than reason. It needs 
more than just uh, um, improvement. It needs something radical. That post needs to be painted again and again and again. How does that truth become powerful? When we let it in to get personal. See, there, this is about knowledge. This is about loving God with all your mind. Loving God with all your mind means trusting in his revelation and not just in the powers of your own faculties of, of reason. Because if you're just trusting in the own, your own faculties of reason, guess who's in charge? You. Right? The world revolves around you. That's the problem. That's the original problem. And we keep finding all kinds of more intricate and complex and intellectually honest ways of maintaining the power over our own, own lives rather than surrendering the power of God. Let me, uh, let me give you an example of this, of how we continue to shift back to our own reason from Revelation. Did you know that Harvard's seal, Harvard University's original seal, veritas is broken up into that, that word veritas means verily, verily. You know what it means? Truth. It means truth. Veritas is broken up into three different segments. Veritas. And if you look at the seal, the original seal had two open books, right? So you can see the face of the book. Veritas. And then you could see on the third one, the spine of the book. The spine. See, there are three ways that you know something. You know something is true. Through reason, through experience, and through revelation. How do you know that you love that person? How do you know that there is a sense of, of hope in you? How do you know that? Because you've experienced the cross. See, this is, this is what Paul is pointing the Corinthians back to. He's saying, when I came to you, I came talking to you about your deepest need and how it was met at the cross. What keeps us from it? What keeps us from it? Well, let's go back to the Harvard Seal. The Harvard Seal today, if you look at the Harvard Seal today, the, the original is, 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 stands in contrast to today's seal. What do you think happened to Tas? The book under Tas, very Tas. That book was flipped over. It was flipped over some, somewhere in the middle of the 20th century. It was an enlightenment move, an enlightenment move, that faith only exists in the bounds of reason, rather than us knowing something through revelation, revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of what God had planned through Throughout all eternity, that, that God knew that he was going to create people separately, that, that they would have their own will, and that that will would need a sacrifice to be brought into order again, that inevitably we are going to seek our own way. And yet somehow, you ask, is it worth it, all the pain, all the suffering? We have to trust that it is, that, that the way that God brought us into being as individuals with individual wills that you have one, that it needs to be surrendered. And, and again and again, we're trying to turn the books, all the books over in our lives where God has revealed himself personally to us because we want control over it again. We want control over it. It's a feeling often that drives us. See, you, you can't think without feeling and you can't feel without thinking. 
They're intermixed. A lot of times we think that, that it's all about head and heart. That's why I was talking about heart last week. Heart is your will. It's not just your feelings. Your feelings are, are more in, in, in your thoughts. You know, a, a lot of times you feel a certain way and then you go and try to find some reason to, uh, to justify it, right? If you feel a certain way about something, then it's like, okay, I'm going to come up with a bunch of reasons to justify the way I think. Well, if we feel that, that we want control over our own lives, we're going to go looking for reasons to be in control over our own lives. Here's what Dallas Willard says about it. He says, feeling and thinking always goes together. They are interdependent and never found apart. There's no feeling without something being before the mind in thought. And no thought without some positive or negative feeling towards what is being contemplated. So what do you think the Corinthians were feeling after Paul left? They were feeling kind of exposed. They're feeling the pain of their pride being exposed. They're feeling the pain of needing something that wasn't independent, autonomous, their own will, their own reason, their own faculties, their own, their own uh, 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 power over their own lives. They were feeling exposed to the need for God. And so what did they do? They gravitated back over. We're having this problem today as part of what, what we're, the problem we're having with fake news, whether on the left or on the right. We've, uh, we've decided that that there is no truth except that those who wield the truth, right? That's, a, that's an enlightenment idea. It actually predates it. You can see it happening right here in the very passage that we're talking about. The same thing that Foucault, the philosopher Foucault, came up in France in, during the enlightenment, saying that any claim to truth is a claim to power, is a bid for power, right? And that's what you see playing out in the news on the left and right. My truth, your truth. My truth versus your truth. Whose truth is it? Who's in charge? Who has the mic? But what Paul is saying, what Paul is saying, is that we all come together under, when we all come together under truth, we, we come together. That we're all made for truth. But we can only experience when we trust in a power over us rather than standing over it. And what happens when we stand over it? We introduce chaos into our lives and into our community. We need to be one nation under God. Truth gets powerful, though, only when it gets personal. Only when it gets personal. That's what Paul is pointing them back to. When did it get personal to you, Corinthian church? But not only that, he says, truth gets powerful when it gets personal, but truth gets powerful when it gets practiced. What does, it, what does that mean, when it gets practiced? Well... It has to be trusted forward and understood backwards. Sometimes truth has to be practiced to get personal. Because when we practice it, even things that seem foolish to us, we practice it. And then we see, that's the revelation of God. I can see its power in my own life. I lived it forward. I understand it backwards. Verses 6 through 10, he's calling them out for their pride. He's calling them out. Let's look at it again. Yet, among the mature, now this is when he's talking ironically, right? I, I kind of gave you a signal that I was going to come back to this, right? He's speaking ironically. His tongue is firmly in his cheek, okay? He's saying, we do have a message uh, of wisdom among the mature, although it's not a wisdom of this age. And then, so it, uh, otherwise, he would have been 
contradicting himself. He was saying, our wisdom is, is in the strength and power of God. We're referring back to the revelation of God, that you have a need that God met it on the cross, that something happened in history, right? And then he says, we do have another message. It's a hidden message. Why is it hidden? Well, it's only hidden from the prideful. So it's either hidden in you or it's hidden from you. That's what he's saying. What hides it from you? Your pride. Your pride. The wisdom of God and the power of the cross, your need met in the hinge of history is hidden from you by pride. Hidden in you when you surrender that pride. So he's, he's playing a game a little bit. He's playing their game in order to win them back to the simple truth of the cross. It's a little like this. Uh, remember that book? Uh, some of y'all remember this book. Uh, Everything I ever needed to know, I learned in what? Kindergarten, right? Everything I ever needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. You know, that book kind of has you at hello, doesn't it? It's like, ah, oh, yeah, I know what he's saying. I know exactly what he's saying. There are things that we learn in kindergarten that we're not practicing, and we know they're good for us. And we know that, that although sometimes the people around us call them foolish, that there is life and health and peace in living that way, right? Let's, let's, let's take another example. Let's go back to Scripture about this. Forgiveness. The forgiveness that, that he's saying they experienced in the cross. Sometimes we're called to forgive other people, right? And it seems so foolish, doesn't it? Forgive that person. Let them off the hook. And we start thinking about how, you know, there needs to be consequences and we need to be... We, we need to recognize that we can't be enablers and all this kind of stuff. And we start convincing ourselves of something that we know, we know is good for us to let, that, let go of that anger, let go of that hate, let go of that bitterness. We know it's good for us. We know the scriptures reveal it. We know that it's powerful in us when we practice it. But until we do, it's not powerful. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in you. You can say, well, I know it's a good idea and I agree with forgiving that person, but actually doing it, not so much, Right? You see how simple it is and how difficult it is. Everything you ever need to know, you learned in kindergarten. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying there's a wisdom, there's a wisdom like that would compete with the kind of wisdom that you all in your flowing robes on, on those, uh, those, those stone staircases, you know, are sort of pedantically impressing each other with all your, your uh, high-level verbiage. And I, I pulled out pedantic. I had to look it up. And, you know, I sort of did some, just so that, you know, you get a sense of what I'm talking about. I think I remember what it means. Parading knowledge, right? We have a wisdom like that, but guess what? It's kind of like something you'd learn in kindergarten. Are you living it forwards to understand it backwards? That's what he's saying. Are you living it forwards to understand it backwards? Is it really powerful? I mean, is this really powerful? This hidden wisdom. And he's quoting Isaiah 64 verse 1. Come down, God. Would you come down? I mean, this, this world is so broken. Would you come down? And then verse 4, he says, what, what no eye has seen, what, what no ear has heard is the cross. It's God intervening. It's not just things to come by in the sky and by and by. He's saying the power of God presently today. The very thing that Isaiah said would be promised and would be life-changing. We have behind us. He had it in front of him. It was powerful to him. 
just in anticipation. Is it powerful to you having had that power demonstrated in your own life? The forgiveness of God, the depths of your need, God equal to that need. Is it now the nuclear power plant of everything you're doing? Is it? Is it really powerful? Let me tell you a story that demonstrates the power of truth. When we practice it, when we actually practice it, we actually trust in it. It seems foolish when you think of a prisoner or a prison practicing something like this. They need punishment, right? They need boundaries. They need walls. They need severity. They need, what do they need? Well, what do we need? How does grace really get in by practicing it? Listen to this. Chuck Colson, who was, uh, he was a prisoner at one time. Some of you all know that name, right? Chuck Colson. He was Nixon's hatchet man. He was the guy behind Watergate. He was the brains behind Watergate. He went to prison for it. He developed this thing called the Prison Fellowship. He recognized that we needed significant prison reform in this country. And he tells this story of a particular prison in Brazil, a prison called Humeda. He says this, As one who has served time in prison, this is Colson speaking, and has since spent most of my life working in them, I'll never forget the most unusual prison I ever visited. It's called Humeda Prison. It's in São José de Campos in Brazil, formerly a government prison. It's now operated by Prison Fellowship Brazil as an alternative prison without armed guards or high-tech security, without them. Instead, it's run on the Christian principles of love of God and respect for men. Humeda has only two full-time staff. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, picture this, people. I mean, like, you're not visiting this place, right? The rest of the work is done by 730 inmates serving time for everything from murder and assault to robbery, drug-related crimes. Every man is assigned another inmate to whom he is accountable. A buddy system, right? In addition, each prisoner is assigned a volunteer mentor from outside who works with him during his term and after his release. Prisoners take classes on character development and are encouraged to participate in educational religious programs. When I visited this prison, I found the inmates smiling, particularly the murderer who held the keys, opened the gates and let me in. Wherever I walked, I saw men at peace. I saw clean living areas. I saw people working industriously. The walls were decorated with motivational sayings in Scripture. What's going on? The rest of the story is this. They took him down a long corridor to a, a place where uh, they said there was only one prisoner in that, in that room. One prisoner. It's a place that notoriously was where, uh, it, kind of a torture chamber, it, chamber. It was a place, a room where if you were really, really bad, you got sent there and you got punished. And everybody in that prison understood what that room was for. And nobody in that prison wanted to go in that room. Everybody understood the purpose of that room. They said to Colson, they said, do you want to go see that room? He said, yeah, I want to go see that room. I want to see what's in there. He said, there's one prisoner in here. They opened the door. And a, a large crucifix that had been chiseled out of wood 
by the prisoners themselves stood in the center of that room. And that murderer who had opened that door for Colson said, one man is serving time for us all. You see, the power of the cross is changing lives. Did it change yours? The power of the cross is the wisdom of God imparted to us through reason, yeah, through experience, but through revelation first and foremost. And if we're going to love God with all our minds, if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we have to go back to the gospel again and again and again. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We've got to go back to kindergarten again and again and again to apply practice what we know so that it can become powerful. You see, each one of us, listen to this, each one of us is educated above our current level of obedience. <laughs> you get that? We're all educated above our current level of obedience. Bernard of Clairvaux puts it this way. There are those who seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge, and that's curiosity. There are those who seek knowledge to be known by others, and that's vanity. There are those who seek knowledge in order to serve, and that is love. Let's love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and next week, strength. Let's pray. Holy God, how we thank you for your power demonstrated through Christ on the cross. Lord. How are we in our own way this morning? How is the power lacking in a relationship, in the way we're approaching business, in the way we start our day, in the way that we look and engage with our neighbors? How is the power of the cross missing? God, would you reveal to us again and again with the gentleness of a friend who says that Jesus already served that sentence, not through shame, not through guilt, but through the revelation of a promise, the power of the cross met in us. In Jesus' name, amen.